Welcome to episode 10 of the Spider Scoop podcast. I'm your host, Noah Goldberg, with ESPN Richmond, and I'm joined by my co host, Austin Daisy. He's a struggling Charlotte Hornets fan, but more importantly, he writes about the Spiders for A10 Talk. Today, we're joined by an incredibly special guest, and that's head coach of the Richmond Spiders, Chris Mooney. Uh, he was really generous enough to give us a great 60 minute uh, sit down. So, we split it into two parts. It's going to give you about 35 minutes today. Uh, it's a little bit more college basketball, kind of in general focused, uh, but with some Richmond stuff in there too. And then a week from today, next Friday, we're going to release the second half, about 20, 25 minutes. And that's a little bit more Richmond specific talk, but each one's got a little bit of everything. Uh, please make sure to uh, subscribe and give us a five star review on iTunes. Um, and make sure to follow me and Austin on Twitter. And I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to episode, wow, I think it's episode 10 now of the Spider Scoop podcast. We have a very special guest on today, a head coach of the Richmond Spiders men's basketball team, Chris Mooney. Chris, thank you for coming on. Uh, how have you guys been doing? Uh, I've been doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, very nice. Very nice to be here. We're, we're uh, obviously like most people, just kind of hunkered down and um, hoping that, that uh, we can get back to work soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what have kind of just been the biggest adjustments for you since, you know, just from a being life perspective, being a father, um, you know, you get to spend more time with the kids now. Um, what have the adjustments been like just being home now? Well, I mean, it's just so very different. You know, we spend a lot of our time. Uh, I live close to campus, so I spend a lot of my time you know, back up at the Robin Center on campus. Um or recruiting and traveling, and so to to really be mostly confined uh, to our house and and backyard has been uh, it's really different. Now the, the opportunity to spend that much more time. We have two boys who are ten and seven, so that's a blast and that's fun. And they have um, their online schooling from about nine to two, uh, and then we get to play kind of during the afternoon. So. Uh, in that case, it's, it's really been fun. And my wife and I have really enjoyed the time together. Has it forced you to start watching anything good on Netflix lately? So I'm kind of not great at, um, adjusting to, to Netflix, but, uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to really not be cool. Uh, you know, we, we love the crown, uh, uh, but I have watched, uh, Narcos. But I, I need to increase, you know, it's not, you know, when you're my age, you don't instinctively think of Netflix, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, and the boys go to bed a little later during this, so we don't have quite as much time to watch adult programming. <laughs> I, I got you, I understand. Um, so uh, just speaking of kind of the streaming and stuff, I don't know if you had a chance to see the HBO documentary that recently came out, The Scheme, kind of about the Christian Dawkins uh, kind of recruiting violations, if you had any thoughts on that doc. Yeah, I did see it. And, you know, obviously I had uh, known or had read about most of the story um, or followed the investigation, I guess. Uh, you know, seeing it, you know, I, I th- and I think I read this in a couple of people's articles that uh, it, it kind of, it's a little more chilling or a little more real, I guess, when you hear some of the audio tape talking uh, mm-hmm. to some of the coaches and so, uh, and see some of the, the video, although that's, you know, not quite as because you don't have the audio. Well, you, you couldn't hear it as clearly, but on the tape to phone conversation. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's uh, an interesting 
part about college basketball. I, I think one thing he was a really fascinating character, more so than I than I thought he would be, to be so young and so confident and and to have already been at the level he seemed to be, although some of it was he was being set up. Um, but it's a part of college basketball that exists and I think exists a lot more than just in that, in that, uh, what we saw in that video. Mm, yeah. I, I think that, you know, like you said, there was a lot of, there was some new information in there, but I think a lot of it, like you said, was kind of more just, you know, things that were out there, but bring it to life, especially for the average person to understand. Um, do you feel like now in, in, you know, like you said, it's, it's going a lot on a lot more than what was just in that documentary. Um, do you know the, the NCAA has speculated on taking down major programs and things? And do, do you feel like the NCAA needs to crack down a little bit more on some of these high major programs with these recruiting violations to kind of level the playing field? Well, uh, one, I think it's very complicated. You know, um, if a school were to offer a prospect money to come to come to their school, you know, they generally don't go to the university to cut a check and have a paper trail. So it's, it's very, very complicated um, what might be promised and what might be given. So, you know, it's not like it's a very easy thing to do or to find out. And so, and then their investigations are really thorough as they should be. You know, you shouldn't just be in trouble because you're accused or suspected. There should be a back and forth. Um, I do think that you know, some of the schools and, and uh, I think if everybody, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a strong wave of public opinion that is very pro student athlete, which is great, is wonderful. And, and um, to me, the most important thing is that the student athletes aren't exploited, you know, that they're in college to get a degree. There are plenty of other avenues besides going to college that, 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 uh, uh, a high school player or a great, a great player could pursue. But if they go to college, then it's important that they're not exploited. Um, however, there are a bunch of rules. And, and what happens too often, I think, is so uh, a school is accused of breaking a rule like paying a player, which is the, the biggest one, I guess, or grade-changing paying a player. And then the uh, discussion from media types is, um, well, they should be paid anyway, which could not be further from the point. The point is we all agreed when we joined the NCAA to be, to abide by these rules. If you want to change the rules and let the players be paid, then that's a totally separate conversation. You know, it's just like saying, well, it wasn't illegal. You know, it was. It's it's legal now to do something. It wasn't illegal then. Well, if you did it when it was illegal, you broke the rule. And so, and no one would be for um, secretly enticing a player through money. If 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 they're allowed to pay the player, they're allowed to pay the player. Uh, and there would be a system in place, I assume, to do that. Um, so, these huge schools with every conceivable advantage within the rule book. For them to go outside the rule book feels like it's an even more impossible task for most of the college basketball programs. You know, yeah. so you know we recognize that we're not going to recruit against North Carolina and Duke and Kentucky, and everybody can is okay with that. Uh, you know, we might have a chance to compete with them at, on, at certain times, given a certain uh, game, but we're all okay with that. 
if they go outside the rules, then that feels even, even more uh, daunting and unfair. And so I think everybody in college basketball would like to see um, just some of these things dealt with because, you know, among college basketball coaches, it feels pretty obvious that a lot of schools are doing this. Um, so if you're a coach and your livelihood depends on this competition, then yeah, I think it would be fair to get, get uh, as much um, control of this as possible. Yeah, definitely. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, especially, you know, the most important thing is, you know, not taking advantage of the players because they're the ones that are most vulnerable in these positions. And, you know, I think based on watching the documentary, you can kind of, uh, you know, you can debate on whether you think Christian Dawkins took advantage of players or not. I kind of on the side that he didn't as much, but that's not every case. You know, we saw, you look at uh, James Wiseman, a guy who, you know, you can look at like Penny Hardaway being the booster when he was younger. They can make a moral argument about that, whether or not that actually should be a violation that, you know, you can make that decision. But at the end of the day, based on the rules, as you said, it is. So whether or not you think it's the right rule, it's still their responsibility to not put a player such as Wiseman in that position. And he's lucky enough for, you know, he's going to be a top pick anyways, but not every guy has that draft stock solidified. Um, so I think you made a good point that that's the most important part. Um, so kind of, kind of getting to why we've had time to watch these documentaries and these sorts of things is obviously the season was cut short uh, now over. Um, so one, one thing that I want to talk about with you is, you know, being a Princeton guy, is, you know, the Ivy League was obviously the first conference tournament to cancel kind of well ahead of everyone else. Um, we had Nick on the program, and I think he gave a really unique take on it where, um, you know, a lot of players were kind of initially upset with it, saying the Ivy League was ridiculous. But Nick kind of said, my first take was that, you know, the Ivy League are smart people. You know, there's a reason it's the Ivy League. And if they do something, you know, it should be taken seriously. And that was his first reaction. So I kind of wanted to hear, you know, how you first reacted seeing that when your tournament was still scheduled to play? Yeah. Um, I don't want to prove Nick wrong in my answer, you know? Uh, well, actually at first, so the Ivy league, um, you know, generally they, the Ivy league has more rules than the NCAA. And so, so for example, there's no red shirting in the Ivy league. You know, you, you have to complete your, Athletic, athletic eligibility in your four years in the league. So if there's an injury, then you don't have that opportunity. You, could, you have the choice to leave school, but you don't have the opportunity to redshirt. Um, and then, for example, they have a rule that you can't be a professional in one sport and an amateur in the other, which the NCAA allows you. You could be a minor league baseball player, or be a football player in the fall. And the Ivy League does not allow you to do that. Not that there are that, there are not that many people who could do that anyway. Um, so th they've been seen as fairly, you know, the Ivy league football doesn't participate in the one double A or the FCS football playoffs. So that it seems that it's fairly restrictive from an athletic standpoint. And so I think that was the reason it felt like that originally is that because they don't have athletic scholarships, because they don't participate in the FCS playoffs, um, because of these reasons that they seem, you know, less open to athletics, how the rest of the colleges are, that it felt like maybe it was a little bit of a squeeze. And at the time there was no, 
real talk about any cancellation. They were the first. Now that 36 hours was really fast and everything uh, started to close or shut down. Uh, but yeah, my initial reaction was like, wow, I, I'm, I was just surprised because it was so early and the talk then was about going to no fans at contests. So for probably 24 hours, there was a talk, you know, including the A-10 tournament, becoming a no fan. And it felt like the Ivy League, the tournament was going to be at Harvard in a small gym, you know, compared to a lot of the conference tournaments, uh, that it was would really be, you'd able be able to do it. Um, and so obviously it proved that they were, they were, were ahead of it. And, um, you know, uh, but Nick probably had their, had their right take on it. But I, I think from someone who's been in athletics, I think that was the reason it felt a little bit like, boy, is, that, is this a step too far? And so because, you know, the Ivy League does have more restrictions on athletics than most places. And so that's why I think the, the mindset was, boy, this seems like a little bit of a, a little bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know for me, you know, obviously being a college student, a lot of my peers aren't as immersed kind of in the sports world as we are. Um, and so as I, I almost feel like sports kind of set the precedent for kind of just a sense of urgency around this pandemic in general. Like I know, and I think, you know, a lot of you guys would agree that when Rudy Gobert tested positive, that kind of set the, uh, knock the dominoes over, set the chain of events. Um, and I feel like that was kind of a watershed in our society for when, you know, that's when people start taking it seriously because, even if you're sheltered at home, you can't leave. You know, the one thing you do is you go watch sports. You're like, oh, it's a snow day. There's a storm. I can't leave my house. I'm going to go watch sports. And for that to be right. taken away, and I think that really hit home for people. Um, can you just speak a little bit about, like, how how basketball and sports, what it's meant to have those things taken away? And I almost feel like this event kind of showed how impactful and kind of ingrained that is in our society and how we kind of use it to gauge the almost like functionality. Yeah, that's a great point. I, well, I do. I, I feel like sports plays an incredibly large role, which is going to make it really interesting when, when the discussion on football comes up because, you know, more than anything, football and football weekends, football Saturdays and colleges are really part of the culture of America. Even people who aren't football fans, they, there's a certain um, nostalgia and community feeling of a football game or football weekend. So, yeah, I think that um, not having basketball, you know, especially the time that it happened, you know, is the most exciting time of the year. And, you know, not only for players and coaches uh, and fans, but speculating on seeding and results and comparing two really, two teams from really different um conferences and areas and how do you do that i think that's really a a part of the excitement Uh, and i do think that sports play such a large role in you know it's it's how people pass the time it's how they they're uh you know they follow their particular team you know whether it's the community they live in now or the school they went to or the school they grew up cheering for so i i feel like that that really did uh hit hard because now suddenly you don't have you don't have anything like that you know you have the mock brackets and stuff uh, but you don't have anything like that and i think you know for me it's really incredibly different because we're not around the guys and traveling with the guys working with the guys hanging out with the guys uh but for, i think for fans it's it's a lot different too because you know you took that time that family and community time away for a 
you know, people that go to the Final Four every couple of years as a, as a you know, father and son or mother and daughter, or, you know, you, that really was taken away and enjoying that part of it. Um, it, it did make it hit home even more. Mm-hmm. You, was it especially hard having it ripped away in a season where you guys are bouncing back from a couple of down years to all of a sudden you're riding the bubble and CAA tournament is in the picture? Did that just make it, you know, kind of extra salt in the wound? It, well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, uh, present ourselves as victims in, in the least. But, yeah, it's it's just that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really just too bad. You know, I, I felt we felt – great and we're excited to play in the a10 tournament and i was actually pretty confident we were in the ncaa tournament and um you know just to not have that is is difficult and you know thankfully we don't have any seniors but still you know you just don't get that many opportunities um you know uh, you know if you're at a school like well i was gonna say duke but you're, you might only be there a year but if you're at a, at a school that is um you know, a regular NCAA tournament team um, with Florida State, you know, then you're going to have your chances. But uh, it's, it's you, you want to make the most of those opportunities. And I, I felt like we had done such good things to put ourselves in that great position. It's really a shame that we weren't able to go for it. Yeah. And I think the silver lining, like you said, is, you know, at least you guys don't have any seniors. You know, you look back and you think, wow, maybe it worked out that Nick did end up with that injury in that red shirt. Um, so now with the off season approaching, like you said, you know, we're worrying about, you know, what's going to go on with college football. You know, we got these professional leagues talking about kind of like bubble uh, leagues and things like that. So when you guys look ahead to your off season, obviously it's, you know, been impacted in a huge way. Um, is there any kind of contingency plan in terms of, you know, if this summer you guys can't get back to campus until later um, of digital training, kind of using zoom, uh, what you guys are going to do there? Yeah. So, uh, Right up until about now, it has been normal because usually we would we would take uh, we would usually take a few weeks off from basketball and two weeks mm-hmm. off from lifting and and those kinds of things. Now it's starting to become you know we would be back to workouts and back to our spring plan. Um, the 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 next part would be the Zoom meetings and being able to work guys out. That has to still go through NCAA rules and what you're allowed to do mandatory and those kinds of things. So that, that's a second piece of it. Looking forward, we're actually, we're scheduled to take a foreign trip this year, which every four years, the NCAA allows you to take a, a trip um, to a foreign country and you can play games there. So cultural experience, educational experience, athletic experience, where you play maybe some professional teams or national teams. And we, we, this will be our fourth trip. And so um, we, we, have not canceled that, but we certainly are keeping a close eye on that to see if, you know, if it's one thing if the campus is back open, but will international travel be something that is allowed or encouraged, mm-hmm. you know, college students. So we have a lot on the table as far as how we're going to do May term, June term, foreign trip. Mm-hmm. And right now it's totally just a wait and see. Um, we hope, obviously everybody, I, I think everybody's hopeful that, you know, that this will go away more quickly rather than, than a, a longer layoff. But uh, we're hopeful for that. And then we'll, we'll consider those plans as they come. Um, you know, a college basketball player, you know, at, at this level, you know, is going to be, is going to be on campus for the summer at 99% of the schools and probably going to spend 10 weeks there. 
that's 10 really valuable weeks. I mean, for individually, for each player to get stronger and better and improve and for the team to just be together and spend time and work together. So that is a drastic difference. Um, and so I don't, no matter what contingency plan there is, you know, n- nothing could be as good as that. And if Richmond's not open, then that probably means the local high school or YMCA or gym, the guys who play at is not. And so that creates another set of problems. So, you know, basketball is a hard thing. Basketball is a hard thing to be good at anyway. And it's really hard if you don't have a court <laughs> and competition. Yeah, definitely. Um, have there been adjustments for you in terms of recruiting? Because obviously you guys, you know, haven't been able to make trips. Guys are committing without taking their officials and unofficials. Yeah, it, it is different. Um, you know, to give you an example, just, uh, you know, it would be really hard for us to take, you know, to sign a, a player that we haven't met in person or spent time with. And so that for us is, is really a difficult line to cross, you know, because the things that we value or our set of values might not match up with the coach who coached the guy previously, whether that's his high school coach or AAU coach or his college coach on a transfer. So that's a really hard one to, to do. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and to look at because it's, it's, you know, recruiting's not, you know, it's inexact anyway. And that piece of being able to talk to somebody, ask them, you know, challenging questions and, that that's that's a little bit that's a little bit difficult. Mm-hmm. So I think the obvious part of recruiting right now is you know the Jake Wojcik obviously decided to transfer, leaving you guys with an open scholarship spot. Um, and I don't think that necessarily means that it's going to be another guard that slots in there because you know you guys have Connor who's going to be eligible this year. Obviously Isaiah coming in as a freshman. Um, have there been any updates in filling that spot? Kind of you know could you guys look to go for another big man in that direction? Uh, where do you guys stand with that spot? So great question. So we feel like uh, what we really wanted to accomplish in our recruiting class for this year, for for the two guys we brought in, is to sign a guard, point guard, and a center. And the reason we wanted to do that is because when Jacob and Grant graduate, um, we didn't want the guys coming in to replace them to be freshmen. Those are two, you know, critical positions for everybody, especially for us. And we wanted to make sure we could get good players in there to, to have a year of experience under those guys. So we feel that we're in a position maybe to take the best available player. Mm. Um, and so that's probably what we're considering the most right now. We, we also are, are in a position not to use the scholarship. You know what I mean? That's, um, and there are certain advantages to not using it. Um, but we, we do feel most importantly, that we can use the scholarship for the best available player and it doesn't have to be locked into a particular position. And that's a good position. Mm-hmm. Could you potentially see a, uh, a mid-season transfer possibly coming in in, uh, in the spring? Yeah. So that, that would be one of the, that would be one of the advantages of holding onto a scholarship, you know, um, this transferring, um, the, you know, the, the fact that transferring is so common Mm-hmm. Um, it has changed a lot of things. And so, you know, transferring at semester seems crazy. 
to to probably older people, mm. but it's fairly common. So, uh, so yeah, that would be something. Whereas you know, if you're in a position where a guy's going to transfer, and you have especially with somebody you've already recruited and have a relationship with, and then he's going to consider ten schools, but only four have scholarships available, then you then you might be in a good position there. So. It's not always perfect, but that might be something that's an advantage. Mm. So speaking with like how common transferring is now, obviously the idea has been thrown around of immediate transfer eligibility. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of takes on that and how that affects a mid-major versus a power conference. Um, how do you think that would affect college basketball? Well, not, I mean, uh, it, it'd be very difficult to overcome uh, unless uh, unless you're at the top because you know there it would in there's tampering is something where um, a college coach or assistant coach will be talking to the AAU coach or high school coach of a player on team A and this coach is from team B about transferring you know we all want to avoid that except the teams that are doing it, I guess, but we all want to avoid that. The immediate eligibility would increase that happening, which is, I think, a real negative for college basketball or, or any entity. Mm. So I, I feel like, I feel like the, the transfer, because it's presented as a rule, public sentiment is that the guy should be eligible eligible immediately. And I can see that I can see why that is. And I, and that might be the case. That might be the right call. Mm -hmm. In other sports, you know, if, if a high school player gets drafted by base major league baseball team, that baseball team owns the player's rights for six years. Mm -hmm. And that's a contract. Now he's being paid, right? That's the difference. And, but he can't, he can't be on the Cardinals organization and transfer to the Blue Jays because they have an opening in right field. He's contractually obligated. And no one cares about that kid or that prospect, partly because that was negotiated between the major league clubs and the players association, right? So that that, that particular kid wasn't represented, but the players as a whole were represented and that was the negotiation. And so right now in basketball, and because that's always been a rule, that isn't the case. It's seen as that, well, that's oppressive or unfair to the player. And I, what I think the, the rule, if there's a rule that's still in place, it's because of competitive balance. It's not, it doesn't have to do with that particular kid. And, and when that guy transfers, he gets his full scholarship and his cost of attendance and life's still pretty good. Um, but I, I feel like that's why the, the support, like, I don't, you know, nobody does care about that baseball guy. <laughs> you know, he can, whatever he does, he's on his bus in double A and doing his mm -hmm. best and everything goes on. So I think that, you know, for so many players to be so unhappy and for every, or unhappy or unfulfilled uh, by their playing time or situation um, seems a little bit out of balance for what mm. maybe it is. Um, and I think that rule has been in place to protect the competitive balance, not to antagonize the player, 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it seems to be the perception is. And so if the rule goes through, then the rule goes through and everybody will, will adjust. Um, but what will happen is, you know, there'll be very, there won't be that much recruiting from high schools anymore. Because if you recruit from high school, there would be, there would be a feel that there was the inevitability that the guy is going to transfer, that it's almost built into the system. And you'll recruit from a college because he'll have exhausted his one-time transfer. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is you'll see most players, or not mo- I shouldn't say most players, a third of the players play at three schools, mm-hmm. uh, which, has, which already happens with grad transferring. Mm-hmm. But I think you'll see a guy use his one-time transfer exemption and then be willing to sit out the second time and play at a third school. Mm-hmm. And that just seems unusual. And, you know, maybe that's the way it is. And, you know, if, if that's where the happiness lies, I guess that's what everybody's entitled to pursue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think the other side of it too, is you're looking at now where we're seeing a lot more guys look towards a professional route, particularly out of these top elite five, four-star prospects. And when you consider, you know, the kind of the almost poaching concept, which is kind of, I think, where this rule would hurt a lot of the mid-major teams, you know, especially if like Terrence Clark, he actually just tweeted that he is going to stay at Kentucky, but there are reports coming out that the G league, even though he'd already committed, we're trying to recruit him. There's talks that Jalen green is considering going professional over schools like Auburn and Memphis. So when you see the, the blue blood programs losing these guys, you know, they're only going to even more be apt to go after and poach um, a lot of these transfers like you're talking about. So I do, I think it would um, unlevel the playing field, but I do see the, the side of the argument from the player movement. Um, you know, we've seen in the pros where, there's a lot more fluidity and movement in the NBA. So, you know, you can kind of see both sides of it. Um, so to kind of get back and, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in the, in the NBA though, and this is, I think it's going to come into the name image and likeness discussion. If LeBron wants to play for this, you know, if LeBron wants to play for the Spurs, mm-hmm. he, he can't, right. He has to stay on the Lakers. Yeah. And then if he, requests a trade to the Spurs from the Lakers. Mm. They don't have to honor that, but if they did, they would get something in return. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so when name image and likeness is discussed and that's perceived to is going to go through mm. that a player can capitalize on his name image and likeness, which feels very American and very fair that they're, you know, that, that, um, that income will be taxed and so that their scholarship could also be taxed. So how much is it, does it cost to go to Richmond? Uh, I want to say was about 66, 67, something like that. Right. So if, so you'd have to pay somebody a hundred, right. In order for them to afford room and board at Richmond. Yeah. And they'd be, and, and they would be taxed on that. So, I think that now if they get, if they're being paid, mm-hmm. then I think you're going to see it. I don't think the freedom of movement will be quite as, because then I think the schools will have some kind of a little bit more of um if that's what it is, if it's like a pro league, mm-hmm. then I don't think, you know, just transferring or transferring twice during your college career, it, it would seem, it would naturally seem that the schools would, 
get something in return because that's that's what usually happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's inter- it is an interesting thought to think about that. Compare the you know how do you value these scholarships versus you know pro contract and things like that. Right. Um, so I think you know both. Mm. Also, what I'm sorry, I think that's one. Yeah. Another, I think the public opinion. I think, like me, a, a lot of the public fears that the student athlete would be taken advantage of, right? And they mm-hmm. would just use him for his physical abilities while they don't give him an education, mm-hmm. right? Uh, exploit him. And so that's a, that's a tremendous fear of mine and I think a mm-hmm. tremendous fear of the, the college system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I'm, uh, it's not the only option for the players. You know, and and uh, a lot of a lot of the rules have taken effect because they were worried about guys declaring for the NBA out of high school mm. who didn't make it in the NBA. And while that's a shame, they have they can pursue a career professionally in, in Europe. They could pursue a career professionally around the world. They could pursue a career in the G League. Uh, they could you know, work out with a club or alone uh, or whatever it might be. A guy who was going to go to Syracuse did that in Boston this year and prepare themselves for the next year's draft. So there are many, many, many options. And so I think sometimes the idea is that, well, they have to go to college and then the colleges won't pay them. Well, there are places that will pay them. Um, and I think they have those options. Like, just like, just like in most um, things, you know what I mean? You could take the year off and travel. You could take the year off and be an intern. You could go to work right now. And I think there are those options. That are there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting when you think about too, where if you kind of want to compare the idea of immediate transfer eligibility to like a free agency is that the, you know, a free agent has an agent who represents them and is looking out mm-hmm. and is explaining the contracts and is pretty, you know, at the pro level, the unlikely, to a degree to take advantage of the athlete because what the athlete makes, you know, dictates what the agent makes. If you bring in immediate transfer eligibility and, you know, you don't have to wait to get your degree to immediately transfer, you know, as you said, you know, these guys aren't getting paid. So if you're a guy who's maybe a junior, you've had a good career at a mid-major and all of a sudden, you know, a school like Louisville comes calling or a school like Kentucky and they say, you know, we're going to give you this, come and transfer, play your senior year here. We're going to get you a championship. You're going to be a starter. And the kid comes in, and he doesn't play, the coach puts him there and he just sits on the bench as depth. And all of a sudden, now you're graduating, first of all, with a degree from a larger, you know, possibly like an SEC school that may not look as good as a degree from a more rigorous, smaller school. So if that player doesn't go pro, now all of a sudden that's going to impact their life outside of basketball too. So you don't have that entity to look out for them. So I think that's another kind of avenue to be considered. Yeah, no, I think you're, <clears throat> I think you're absolutely right. And I think the immediate eligibility, one, one thing that I have to be, uh, talked about is if if someone wanted to transfer after their junior year and Mm -hmm. at school b would school b be willing to give them a degree from their school even though 25 only 25 percent of the credits were earned at their school and i don't i don't i don't know the answer to that um Mm -hmm. but this you know the athletic the teams are connected to schools and so that was the initial idea of of athletics at the schools that they, there would be some kind of symmetry and so mm. but that is interesting i think that 
I can't imagine that a coach would promise a guy he would start and then he wouldn't, but I, I'm yeah. sure that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Richmond Spiders head coach Chris Mooney here on the Spider Scoop podcast. Uh, make sure also you check out the video. This entire video is being posted uh, on my YouTube page at Noah Goldberg 10. Um, so part one of that is up now. And then part two, both on YouTube, the video and of course the audio uh, will be available a week from today, next Friday. Uh, that's, I believe, May 1st. That'll also be on iTunes and on YouTube. Make sure to check those out. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Noah Goldberg 10 for more Richmond basketball content. And also make sure you follow Austin at AustinDaisy11. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed it and keep an eye out for part two. Money come and won't stop. You know Miss Lowe, you gotta go up. You know anytime I'm gonna drop. You know none of them songs gonna flop. You know all of them songs gonna pop. I went platinum again, my God. I went two tone on my drop. Bugatti, that's 1.6 all stock. Don't need no brakes, no plan, no stop. I told the girl I only want all the top. Be Kapunani always follow my they know that I got the game all on lock He talking about baby, get that by the flock A bitch and been friendly always in my heart I got way too much love right there right from my block And as long as my heart begin it when I stop I don't know nothing, who they got shot All I know, I'm just bullying with my sound And if they come get you and you got walk Then Lois line, you gotta go do your time Like never mind that, little shit cause we rich Cause right now we living and we doing fine Now I understand why you living that life We from the same hood, that's a nigga went down That's all we know God gave me the opportunity to open doors I'm up in Starlin, seeing yellow dog take on my dog oh, She not even on the pole no. I got that girl from my bro Facts. Yeah, I don't know how this life goes yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming out starters like fall DQ out to the door He blasted the odds for show sure. yeah, yeah. They ain't even know me and Bubba was close Niggas, they plowed on the low But they all get smoked, she sent tall yeah, yeah. Come in, won't stop You know Miss Lowe, what you gotta walk Y'all know anytime I'm gon' drop You know none of them songs gon' pop You know all of them songs gon' pop I went platinum again, my God. I went two-tone on my drop. Bugatti, that's 1.6 all-stock. Don't need no brakes, don't plan on stop. I told that girl I only want all the top. Because Punani always follow my lap. They know that I got the game, I always on lock. He talking about baby, get that by the flock. A bitch, I'm friendly and always in my mouth. I got way too much love right there, right from my block. And as long as my heart begin, it when I stop. Take the top out of the cool, I recup. If you love me, then come eat my nuts. Hundred million on that, ain't no trust. Come on, they hustle down, we less. Get the pack and I run like the bus. I had rescued them bands out of custody. Told the cooler to try not to love me. Push the bitch to the ground, she was nothing on me. She was crying and write me a summary. Yelling black and lay on the bumblebee. Just like a dog, she turning me. I put the fish on the wrist. Parquet, you come with a dish. My lamb up is washed. Talking about George, but the dad got something. Yeah, yeah she nailed it. One of the reasons I don't know she me. Yeah, it's been a long way to the victory and all my knees. Paris Fashion Week, shit ain't enough for me. To the drip, the Jupiter never come back to the stage. Uh, money come and won't stop. You know, Miss Low, what you gotta go up. You know, anytime I'm gonna drop. You know, none of them songs gonna pop. You know, all of them songs gonna pop. I went platinum again, my God. I went two tone on my drop. Bugatti, that's 1.6 all stop. No need no brakes, no plan, no stop. I told the girl I only want all the top. Kapunani always follow my lap. They know that I got the game, I only on lap. Talking about baby, get that by the flock. A Benjamin Franklin always in my mouth. I got way too much love right there, right from my block. And as long as my heart begin, it when I stop.